Revelation chapter 11. And we'll finish up last week and then dive into chapter 12. (coughs) Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful again for your salvation. We are grateful for your word. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit. We're grateful that he guides us into all truth, that he brings to our remembrance those things that you have commanded. And Father, we are grateful that you are sovereign over everything. You're sovereign over time. You're sovereign over men. You're sovereign over even the evil intentions of men. You're sovereign over the devil. You limit what he can and cannot do. So, Father, as we see these things this morning, we, help, we pray that you would help us to understand, that we would recognize symbols, that we would be able to understand what they mean, what they represent. Most of all, Lord, that we would rightly divide your word of truth, that we may rightly know you, that we may rightly obey you. In Christ's name, amen. Last week, we weren't able to quite finish up chapter 11. So the first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to deal with the last few verses of chapter 11, and then we can dive into chapter 12. So last week, we we looked at the two witnesses. We looked at their ministry. We looked at their death. We looked at their resurrection. And then in chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth." And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunders and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. And so the, the two witnesses here end the sixth seal. That's the, so the sixth seal Uh, went back that included um, these 200 million that come from the east, come from all over. It included uh, the small book and it included uh, the two witnesses. All of that fell under the sixth trumpet, excuse me, the the sixth trumpet. And now when the seventh trumpet comes, that is, the, that is the beginning of the end for Satan. You, you remember oftentimes God is referred to as he who was and who is and who is to come. Did you notice the who is to come was missing here? Because he's coming. And so we're no, the angels are no longer looking forward to a future event. That future event is here. And so God is beginning to extend his rule. He is taking back the earth that has been given over temporarily to the dominion of Satan. Remember, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He is the the prince of this world for now. In fact, we're going to see this morning how it is that he ends up to where uh, he's no longer in heaven. And so God is now bringing about his dominion. His uh, he is he is removing his opposition. 
the day is coming soon when there will be no opposition to God. Not from Satan, not from rebellious man, not from demons, not from anybody. And again, it spurs praise from the 24 elders. They are back off of their thrones and on their faces before God and worshiping him. The fact here that the nations are enraged, that is coming from Psalm 2, right? Why do, the, why do the nations rage and imagine a vain thing against God and against his Christ? And yet, what do they find? Their rage cannot be compared to God's rage. They may be angry, but they cannot enforce that anger against God. And so God's anger is, frankly, a whole lot more fearsome than the anger of man. You know, when we're talking with people and, and they, um, it's one thing to consider that you are at war with God. It is an entirely different thing to consider that God is at war with you when you are unredeemed. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Men, what did Jesus say about men? Don't fear men. Why not? All they can kill is your body. Rather, fear the one who can kill your body and your soul in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so here comes the time for both judgment and reward. There's judgment coming for those who are unrepentant. There is reward coming for those who are the bondservants of God. There's a reward for persevering. There is a reward. There's treasure in heaven for those who have suffered for the name of Christ. Be it suffering from the loss of temporal things, even to the point of suffering for the loss of death. For, you know, if you are killed for the name of Christ, there's blessing for that. And so here we have the seventh trumpet. Now, this seventh trumpet, the results of the seventh trumpet, the consequences of the seventh trumpet extend all the way into chapter 19. So when we get to the bold judgments, the bold judgments are an extension of this trumpet. All of that is packaged in with this. The bold judgments are uh, as God is um, bringing judgment on the earth and on Satan, he is bringing history to a conclusion prior to his kingdom, his millennial kingdom. Any questions here? We good? Okay, let's go into chapter 12. Now chapter 12 is going to open with some signs. And how do we know that they are signs? Because the text says so. All right? Again, this book is not necessarily as difficult as it is made out to be. There are some challenges. Chapter 11, most commentators say that chapter 11 is the most difficult chapter in the book. Chapter 12 is going to have a couple of issues as well. So, let's read our text. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the ground. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, 
who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So the first thing we need to do in looking at this chapter is we need to figure out who's the woman, who's the child, and who's the dragon. So let's go through and see what we have here. Now, first of all, the woman is a sign. So what is a sign? Okay, it points you in the right direction. That's a good general definition for a sign. What's the other word that's often, that often accompanies the word sign in the New Testament? Signs and wonders. Now, wonders is not used here. It's just the word for sign. Now, a sign is something that is a symbol. It, is, it in and of itself is not literal, but it points to a literal reality. That's the thing to remember here about a sign. It in and of itself is a picture of something, but that picture is pointing to a literal reality. And so here we have a sign, and the sign is a woman who's clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So, is this a literal woman? No, it's not. Now, how do you know that? Okay, hard to put her feet on the moon. Haven't seen too many women clothed with the sun. Now, the idea here of being clothed with the sun and feet on the moon and a crown of 12 stars, does that call anything to mind? Joseph's dream. Joseph's dream that got him in so much trouble with his brothers and didn't really cause any great joy with his mom and his dad, right? Because if you go back to Genesis 37, you find Joseph having this dream and he related it to his family, hi there, I had a dream that the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And of course, they all realized that 
the sun and the moon represented parents and the 11 stars represented his brothers. And his brothers were not very enthused about that idea. Now, is that the only interpretation of the woman? No. There are two others that are the most common. One, uh, the Roman Catholic view is that this woman is the Virgin Mary. Now, the problem, well, and then the other common view is that this woman represents the church. Now, let's take the church first. What is going to be the immediate problem with this woman representing the church? Okay, she's pregnant and she's not married. And the other one that's really the big one. How does the church give birth to Christ? That can't happen. There's no way that can happen. And so, you know, that one we can get rid of out of hand. And frankly, the idea about uh, the woman being the Virgin Mary can be rejected out of hand as well. Because when was Mary taken away for a time, times, and half a time, or 1260 days? Never. And so the only thing that, the only uh, symbol, the only interpretation of this that makes sense is that the woman represents Israel. Was Israel, did Christ come out from Israel? Yes. He was of the line of Judah, right? Both his father and his mother were in the line of the kings. Actually, that's not correct. They both go back to the kings, back to David. But um, on Mary's side, Mary came through David's son, Nathan, whereas Joseph came through the kingly line. He was actually related to Jehoiachin. So the woman represents Israel. Now, the, when, the, when the scripture here says that she's with child, that is the, that's the standard way in the Bible of saying she's pregnant. And she's ready to give birth. Now, the interesting thing here about um, she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. This word pain is the same word that we saw back in chapter 9, verse 5, when it talked about the sting of these locusts and the agony that it produced, the torment that it produced, torment to the degree that those who had been stung wanted to die and couldn't because death fled away from them. And so it's the idea here of there's great anguish on the part of the woman. Now, who's the dragon? Dragon is Satan. And that one is made very clear later in the chapter. If you look down at verse 9, you see that he's actually identified by name. The dragon is the serpent. The serpent is Satan. Um, and the devil so you get all of them all tied up there. And so the serpent is the dragon, and the dragon is the devil and Satan. Now, the other thing that's interesting here is how he is depicted. So you have him as a dragon. Now, dragons are naturally pretty fearsome, right? It was always considered a really heroic thing for someone to stand up to a dragon. Um, I remember years ago in our training office in the fire department, there was a little cartoon up on the wall and it's a dragon kind of reclining on its side. And in front of the dragon, there's a pile of armor and the dragon is picking his teeth with a busted lance. And the caption is, sometimes the dragon wins. And so going up a drag against a dragon is a pretty fearsome thing. He's red in color. Again, red being one of those scary colors. But also, eh, depiction of blood, depiction of fearsomeness. 
and he has an unusual appearance. He's got seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems. Now the idea again of a diadem, this isn't Stephanos, so this isn't the victor's crown. A diadem was a crown that was worn by royalty. And so that was actually a sign of royal power, that kind of a crown. And the idea of seven horns, it's, and, uh, excuse me, seven heads and ten horns, the ten horns will tie all the way back to Daniel chapter 7. And so if you go back, you see this beast that arises, and he has ten horns, and he's the most fearsome of the beasts that Daniel saw in his vision. We're also going to see in chapter 13, when we get another introduction to the beast, that the beast has seven heads and ten horns, except his, diadem, his diadems are on the horns rather than the heads. And we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 13 next week. And so here you have the devil as the dragon. Sir. Okay, so for the tape, the question is, is this something that is future or is this past? That's a great question. And this is something that is still future to us. And we're going to get to that and all the timing of it here in a minute. Because again, we do have this idea. In fact, it's even referenced here that the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven. Now, stars are representative of what? angels. You'll get that in Job 38.7 or 37.8. 38.7 when it talks about the morning stars singing for joy uh, at the creation. So the idea of uh, the dragon's tail sweeping a third of the stars. The tail is doing the sweeping. That is an active voice. So the tail is doing that. And there's a reason for making that emphasis when we get to later on with the dragon. So were that event, the tail sweeping the stars from heaven, that is precosmic. That goes back to the original fall of Satan. But here's the thing. Satan has not been, up to this point, excluded from heaven. Now that sounds, on, on, on the one hand, that sounds, whoa, wait a minute, you mean Satan can go into heaven? Yes. And in fact, we know that. How do we know that? Job, right? Because in Job, Satan goes into the presence of God to give an account for what he's been up to. And God asks him, Satan, what you been up to? Oh, well, I've been traipsing around on the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? Ah, he only likes you because you treat him right. Stop treating him right, he won't treat you that way. And then again, you have all of that that befalls Job. And so the serpent still has access to heaven. That's fixing to change. He's actively awaiting the birth of the child. And, and the picture is, here's the woman getting ready to assume the position so that she can give birth, and the dragon is standing over her waiting for that child to appear so that he can devour it. Now, what does that bring to mind? Herod the Great. Yeah, the slaughter of the innocents. And so... Uh, that was Herod being evil 
And yet at the same time, what else is happening? At the same time you have Herod following the inclination of his own heart in being the evil man that he was, what else is happening at the same time? Satan is following that same path. And so he is influencing Herod, although it's not, it's not like he's putting something inside Herod's head that wasn't already there. And so here again, you have an evil influence from Satan, just as you can have influences from God. And by the way, influences for good or influences for evil. We're going to see that today too. No, we're going to see that in the next hour. That's where that one's going to come out. So who's the son? Who's the child? And that's, again, it can only be Christ. Because Christ is the only one who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's him and him alone. You'll find that in Psalm 2 as well. Now, an interesting thing here. Look at how quickly the life of Christ is addressed. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Uh, where went the virgin birth? Where went the, the vicarious suffering? Where went the atoning death? Where went the resurrection? It jumps straight to the ascension. Jesus gets caught up to God. Because, so why would that be? Okay. That's dealt with elsewhere. It's not the point of this part of the chapter. The point of this here is really dealing with Satan and Israel. It's not dealing with Jesus. We've already seen him as the lamb that was slain, right? We have no questions, you know, from this book. We have no question about the work of Christ and the ministry of Christ, the importance of Christ. The, the awesomeness of Christ. That's, that's all been dealt with elsewhere. And so the point here is that the child was coming from Israel. The devil wanted to devour the child early on and not let him get to all this other stuff that he was going to do to accomplish the will of God. He wants to devour him early. He's not able to do so. And so Jesus is caught up. He's in heaven. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Let's deal with the time frame first. What is special about 1,260 days? Pardon me? Three and a half years. 42 months. Now, why do we keep seeing that number? Okay. It's half the tribulation. That number ties it back to Daniel when it talks about you have a first half, you have a midpoint, you have the desecration, you have the abomination of desolation that occurs in the temple, and then you've got that three and a half years where all of a sudden Israel is being persecuted and prosecuted, being chased, pursued for malicious intent. And so you have these numbers that keep coming up. And so here again, we've got this three and a half period, year period of time, three and a half, not four for those of you who were here last week. And so note that there is a specific period of time, that there is a specific location, right? She's going to a place that has been prepared for her by God. So God knew about this ahead of time. He's already made ready a place for her. It's interesting that Jesus is preparing a place for us. God has prepared a place for Israel. It's a place of refuge for that three and a half year period of time. So we don't know where that location is. And again, there's lots of speculation. And if you want to speculate, 
knock yourself out. Just hold it lightly because we haven't been given that. And so is it important to know where that location is? No. If it was important, it would be given. And so uh, it's, it's, it's not in Jerusalem. It is probably out in, and it could be mountains or desert because a lot of the mountains there are desert. If you go to Petra, uh, if you've even seen pictures of Petra, what does Petra look like? Vegetation-wise, Vege Petra looks like moonscape. There is nothing growing there. They got some pretty cool carvings, actually very cool carvings, but the place is as barren as it can possibly be, even though there are mountains in the immediate vicinity, because again, Petra is located down inside of a crevice, really in the rocks, with tall, tall uh, cliffs on all sides. And so um, she goes, she's fleeing for that period of time that's going to be the great tribulation, the second half of the tribulation. So in that time period, she's off, she's going to be nourished, she's going to be cared for, she's going to be given provision, she has a place of refuge, so she is generally safe from whatever the devil can try to throw at her. And in fact, we're going to see that he's going to get frustrated all over the place. Hallelujah for that. Then there's war in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, I tend to think of heaven as a place that's pretty peaceful, right? God's there. How much conflict can you have when God is there? Apparently, in this case, lots. Because there's going to be all-out war. Now, we are not given as to what that war looks like, what that war entails. All we know is that you've got a bunch of demons going up with Satan up into heaven and they get whooped by, Ma by Michael and his angels. Now, are they Michael's angels? No, they're God's angels. Michael's the head guy for them. He's going to be the general calling the shots on how that's done. Isn't it interesting? God does not have to step in. God doesn't even have to get involved there. Michael's taking care of that with the other, with the good angels, the holy angels. Okay, so the question is, is that the same third that got swept down is coming back up? Yes. So again, and I think we've talked about this before, the idea that somehow the holy angels are outnumbered? No. How many does Satan have? What fraction did Satan get in his army, one-third. Now, last week, you probably all had reason to question whether or not I was good at math, all right? But I'm pretty sure that two-thirds is more than one-third. In fact, I'm pretty sure that two-thirds is twice as much as one-third. So God's got, a, the holy angels have got them outnumbered two to one. So you don't need to go Frank Peretti here and wonder that, you know, oh no, if we aren't praying, the angels don't have cover and they're going to get whooped by the dead. No. No. Okay? Can they give them grief? Yes. You see that in Daniel as well. Daniel 10, I believe it is. Oh, there's... <laughs> so there's war in heaven holy angels win and what happens to Satan and the demons they get thrown down now the thrown down when it refers to Satan and the thrown down when it refers to the demons, those are passive voice. 
What does that mean? It's being done to them. They got expelled. They got kicked out. They didn't go willingly. They got the boot. And so here again, they have now been expelled from heaven. Satan no longer has access to God to be the accuser of the brethren. He accuses the brethren in God's presence day and night now. That's what he does now. In that day, he gets the boot. And so he no longer has access to God. The demons no longer have access into heaven. They are permanently expelled. Now that brings on great joy and rejoicing in heaven. They don't have to mess with him anymore. They don't have to tolerate his presence anymore. Andrew. Yes. So the question is, have they had access before? Yes. Apparently they can go up there too. Satan can go into heaven. That, again, that's back to Job. Satan comes into God's presence to give an accounting for what he's been up to. I know it sounds strange because you think of heaven as a place that is utterly holy. And yet, for a time, God has tolerated that. That, that clock just ran out. And so now, they're out of heaven. So in heaven, party. It is time to rejoice because Satan has been thrown down. Bad news for the earth. Because not only is Satan cast down to the earth, he is ticked. He is furious. He is looking for someone to take that out on. And guess who's number one in those sites? Israel. Israel's number one. Believers are going to be next. And so Satan is cast down, and Satan knows that time is short. And so here you have him down. He's down to the earth, and it's, uh, he's only got so much time left in order to wreak havoc. This idea of the loud voice in heaven is literally megaphone. So it's megaphone, standing up there with the bullhorn and proclaiming joy in heaven and woe to the earth. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Now we've talked before in this idea of power. There's two words that are commonly used for power. One of them is dunamis. And from dunamis we get our word dynamite. And so power is uh, the potential for action, the potential for control. The idea of Exousia, which is the other word that's used for power, that is the idea of authority. So it's not just having strength, it's having the ability to use that strength for its intended purpose. And so here, that's translated God's power and Christ's authority. Authority there is exousia. And so here you have the ability and you have the right in order to go through and uh, accomplish that work. Now, who the voice is, is not given. The voice talks about the accuser of our brethren. So, number one, it's a voice that is probably more than one person because it's our brethren, not my brethren. Secondly, it's not going to be an angel or a group of angels. 
Angels are never referred to as brethren of men. Men are never referred to as brethren of angels. Now, who could, one possibility could be, who is called, uh, he's not ashamed to be called, for us to be called his brethren. Who's that? That's Christ, right? He's not ashamed, which is an amazing thing when you think about it. So it's probably redeemed men, probably. Now, somebody else is being victorious over Satan. Verse 11, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Now, who is overcoming Satan here? The redeemed. The redeemed. The word for overcome here is the word that Nike comes from. It's being victorious. So, how are they being victorious? Are they binding Satan? Are they casting him out? Are they, you know, coming up with one of the other funky things that people are always seem to be coming up with? How did they overcome him? Okay, the blood of the lamb for beginners. Do you know that even Michael does not revile Satan? Michael does not accuse Satan. You see that in the book of Jude. Even Michael did not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So if Michael doesn't act with the devil that way, you think it's a good idea for you to try I don't want to end up like the seven sons of Sceva. If you know, you know who I'm referring to by the seven sons of Sceva? They were seven Jewish fellas who um, saw Paul casting out demons. And so they go in and they figure, you know what, we're going to try this. So I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims to come out of this guy. And the demon looks and goes, I know Jesus I've heard about Paul, but who are you? Strips them naked and kicks them outside. A little embarrassing if you happen to be a son of Sceva at that moment. So again, if Michael doesn't do that, yeah, and he's equal to Satan, right? He's an archangel, archangel just like Satan most likely was. Gunner. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Right? Michael remembers that. Good point. So here again, the idea is they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. What overcomes sin? The blood of Christ. What covers sin? The blood of Christ. So they overcame by his blood. And second, they overcame by the word of his testimony. Now, this idea of overcoming, that is a mark of a Christian. Christians are overcomers. If you go back to the, to the churches, to the letters to the churches in chapter 2 and 3, how did every one of them end? To him who overcomes, I will give such and such. There was a promised reward for those who overcame. And again, we are to persevere. Now, we're going to see that again later in this book because times are going to become very difficult. And frankly, for many, they are not going to be able to be faithful and live. They can't do both. 
they're going to be able to choose one. And they're going to choose to be faithful, even in the face of death. How many, uh, let me ask it the other way. Who in here has not read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Okay, there's, there's, actually, there's a number of hands. Okay. Assignment. Not for next week. You have some time. It will be a blessing for your soul to get that book and read it. John Fox was a historian back about, oh, I think he was in the 1600s, maybe the 17, but I think the 1600s. And he went back and he collected the stories of many who had been martyred for their faith. And to see many who were like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Does it ever amaze you that Jesus didn't revile anybody? When Pilate told him, don't you know I have the authority to set you free or I have the authority to kill you? What was his response to Pilate? You don't have any authority but what my father's given you. And the greater sin lies with those who brought me to you. Nailed to a cross. No condemnation of the by wielding the hammer. You, see, you hear nothing from him except words that are gracious. Stephen, as he's being stoned, and again, I don't know that we appreciate the kind of death that was. To have your brains beat in with rocks, and we're not talking pebbles. And yet, what was his response? He had no problem being straight with them in life, in accusing them of what they had done in killing Jesus. But yet, as he is being beaten and, and blunt force traumaed to death, Father, forgive him. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs? One man who had recanted his faith and then later came back and said, you know what, I was wrong to do that. And when you burn me, you burn this hand first because it's the one that signed to recant. This gets burned first. It's an incredible it's an incredible book to read. Oh yeah, singing hymns while they're dying. And being burned at the stake by the way is not quick. One of them it talks about how the fire wasn't hot enough. And he's there in the blaze and it goes on and on and on. And he's asking, "Hey, would you put some more wood on the fire, please? And let's get this going. So again, there are going to be many more just like that. And they are given grace in their time of need so that they can honor their God by the manner of their death. God is honored just as much in the way that they die as in the way others are delivered. Please remember that. God is honored just as much when he heals somebody completely 
by taking them as he is if he heals them for them to die another day. Now, Satan's wrath being poured out here, that is going to be in the, at least in the last half of the tribulation. So max time he's going to have is three and a half years. And it may be less than that. But again, it's, 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 things are going to get real ugly real fast when he gets kicked out of heaven. So he's out of heaven. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And he gets frustrated again. He just got kicked out of heaven, and now he's not going to be able to do what he wants to with the woman. Because two wings of an eagle come, and she gets lifted up, and she gets flown out and deposited in her safe place out in the wilderness. Now, the woman was a sign. What's the eagle? It's another sign. It's another symbol. Are, are individual Jews going to be picked up on the, on the back of an eagle like uh, Frodo and Samwise Gamgee were picked up out of the, you know, the, the mountain of doom and flown off on eagles or Gandalf? No. It's a picture. God is going to rescue them. Now, by the way, has God used that picture with Israel before? Yes. Exodus 19.4. I bore you on eagle's wings. And so it's, it's nothing new. The idea here is, is that Satan wants to persecute Israel and he gets flustered again. So again, Who's sovereign over all this? God is. He's able to control what Satan does and to what limits he can go. So the woman gets rescued, and she's out there now. This idea of persecution, uh, part of, one of the other ways that that word can be translated is pursuit. So it's the idea of hunting somebody down with malicious intent. You're being hunted. Satan is hunting Israel, and she gets rescued and put beyond his reach. I've listed out a number of references there for you. Wings often speak of protection. So, for instance, you often hear, you know, hide me under the shadow of your wings. So the flight is figurative. What else is going to be figurative here? So the Satan can't get to the devil directly. Excuse me. The devil can't get to Israel directly. So he's got another thing up his sleeve. He unleashes this torrent of water. Now, is that literal water? Don't know. What's the idea of, of unleashing this large torrent of water after her? She gets swept away. She can't get to where it is that she's going. So is that literal? Is it figurative? I, I lean toward figurative. But he's going to get frustrated there again because here it is. He says, okay, I can't get her this way, so I'm going to try it this way. So here comes this torrent of water, whatever that happens to be, and the earth opens up and swallows the water. So bust it again. He can't go after her directly. He can't go after her indirectly. So, what does he do next? He's going to go after her children, her other children. Those are going to be children how? Some will be, well, actually, in this case here, it doesn't matter how you were born. What matters here, are you a child of faith? That's the key. And so, um, verse 17, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children 
who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So where are these kids? Where are they not? They're not in heaven. Where else are they not? They're not in the place where the woman has gone. She's in a safe refuge. These ones aren't. They're reachable. And because they're reachable, they're huntable. And notice that there's no protection for them listed. Other than what? Well, other than whatever it is that God does for them on an individual basis. There are many who are going to suffer and yet live because there are going to be a number of believers who survive. In fact, that's the only people who are going to survive the Great Tribulation are going to be believers, just not all believers. There's going to be a number of believers who are going to be martyred for their faith. They are going to seal their testimony with their blood. And the yes, the 144,000 are still out there, you know, evangelizing and, and making new believers, and they are untouchable. There's another group that the devil can't get to. He can make them uncomfortable. He can make, you know, he can make life painful for them, but he can't kill them. And so here you have, and, and, and so, do you see the hand of God in all of this? He sets limits as to what Satan can and cannot do. He sets limits as to where Satan can and cannot go. And when it comes to believers, the grace is always sufficient always and that is whether by life or by death God's grace is sufficient it always has been it always will be and so for us because well actually for us we're not going to go through this not this part that doesn't mean we're going to be exempt from persecution. There are many Christians across the face of the planet who today, today, will be martyred. Today. They will seal their testimony with their blood. And if that ever comes here, then we should be confident. We should be bold. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient. God will make it possible for us to speak his word in his way. Regardless of consequence. Well, if you're a mid-tribber, it could go up to the, to the midpoint. If you're a pre-tribber, that happens before. And so we would be gone for all of this. And so here again, um, am, I, am I upset that I would be spared from the tribulation? No, I'm not. Nor do I want to be a pacifist in the war for the gospel now. And so here again, you see what's happening 
in our country. The decision comes down to overturn Roe v. Wade. And now all of a sudden, what's happening at churches? Oh, yeah, they're getting, they're, they're getting vandalized. And, you know, crisis pregnancy centers, oh, they're getting attacked. And if you are vocal, if you are vocally pro-life, it's open season on you. Would to God that it would be open season on us for proclaiming the gospel and not just have it confined to an issue like abortion. I'm not downplaying abortion. But we need to be that serious about proclaiming the gospel. That is the only way that a man can be made right before God. That's it. There's no other way. And so again, uh, our, our time is coming. Should we live long enough? Our time's coming. And so may we be confident in Christ. And may we be bold as lions in proclaiming his truth. And not cower. No fear. Questions? It's only 10 o'clock. We normally go until 5 or 10 after. Oh, I knew that would flush something out. Yes, sir. Oh. So, no, we shouldn't have fear. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. There's another good reason, by the way, to grab onto old hymns. Sing them enough to where you remember them. Sir. Yep. Rick's point, the victory's already been won. Overcoming there is past tense. And so... Um, it is. Good point. Let's pray. Father, again, we worship you because you are the one true God. You are the almighty, the one who is all-powerful, the one who is utterly sovereign. Your purposes cannot be set aside. They cannot be turned back. You accomplish everything that you want on the schedule that you want. And you are, breathing, you are bringing history to a rightful conclusion. And you're going to win. And the day is coming when evil is going to be no more. And all those who have practiced it are either going to be redeemed or they're going to be in the lake of fire where they will burn in your presence time without end. What a horrible fate awaits those who will not bow their knee to you now. And so, Father, help us to be faithful in proclaiming your word. Help us to be faithful in proclaiming your truth that we would not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew and for the Greek. Thank you that you have revealed so much. Thank you for your spirit to be able to guide us into all truth. 
Thank you that we can understand the things that you have said, even about things that are in the future. And no, we don't have all the details, but we have enough. We have enough to trust you. We have enough to take you at your word. And so, Father, help us. May we be innocent in evil and yet valiant for truth. In Jesus' name, amen.